My name is Maximus Decimus Meridius. I am Iron Man. Hello, hello, and welcome back to the Post Credit Podcast. I am your host, Eric Italiano, senior writer at ProBible.com. And today, as always, I am joined by my co-host, Kate Onder, who you can find writing about video games over at ComicBook.com. I almost said it again. I almost said... Well, you could find writing about comic books at videogame.com. Um, sure, works. <laughs> this week, we have a rare off week. Uh, there's no major releases this weekend, as far as I could tell, but it's not going to stay that way for long because next week we'll see the release of the first two episodes of Obi-Wan Kenobi, which we will cover in depth week to week, and also the release of Top Gun Maverick. So with that in mind, this week we are going to be doing a Tom Cruise Mount Rushmore, which sees, as opposed to a draft where Kate and I would be going head to head, this one sees us sort of team up and try to figure out what are the films that define his career. But before that, we have a bunch of news to get to from this past week, some of which just dropped hours before we sat down to record. And that is a new Daredevil series is that the is in the works at Disney Plus. Now, it will reportedly be, quote, a new but continued series of the Netflix show. That is a very vague statement um what the first thing that popped into my head was the distinction between batman the animated series and batman the new adventures which is basically like back in like the 90s batman the animated series is the one where he has the blue cape and the yellow logo and then they tweaked it a bit to make it more focused on like the bat family and it became batman the new adventures and he had like the gray suit and the black logo so while it existed in the same world and the same characters had the same stories the designs were change so it was sort of like a soft reboot type thing so that is what i'm assuming is going to happen here like they'll take the aspects from the netflix show that they liked keep those and then everything else will all be built from the ground up now i wouldn't say you're as hype on daredevil as you are about spider-man but you are quite the fan correct yeah ironically i never finished the third season which i know is the best one but that's no season three of daredevil no people don't like that well, I, I I mean, it's been a few years since I watched it. I don't remember it being like the consensus best. Okay. Maybe I remember I, season I two with fucking Punisher was dope. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, um, I, I remember mean, look, three is good. They're, yeah. they're, they're all good. I just don't remember there being like, oh, wow, season three, really. Okay. I think they're Maybe all kind of just stone cold solid. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I, but I do love it. Uh, the only reason I never finished is because like, it got canceled shortly after it premiered. And I'm like, you know what? I don't want to have my heart broken. So but are you going to go back to it now? Absolutely. Uh, I've been planning to as of recently anyways, just for my own reasons. But uh, yeah, I'm really excited for this because Daredevil and Charlie Cox are a perfect match. And that character is awesome. Uh, people are complaining about the writers because they wrote Deck the Halls, like a Christmas comedy. But it's like... Mm, and they also created the USA show Covert Affairs, which right. I'm not really familiar with and this oh sorry kid go ahead no sorry uh, people say that shows okay no i was gonna say that this is the result of the mcu now being a tv business as well you need to hire tv writers to write the projects they are spreading (laughs) themselves farther and wider and when you do that you're not gonna get aaron sorkin for (laughs) she hulk you know he's not gonna be writing the courtroom scenes in she hulk let's just be clear about that now this was sort of an inevitable. Oh, and let's just name quick. The writers are, and not to diss them. I mean, I've never seen anything they've made, oh, yeah. so I can't speak on it at all. I just know that USA shows exist on USA for a reason. Let's just put it like that. Yeah. Uh, the writers are Matt Corman and Chris Ord. Now, 
this was inevitable considering he appeared in No Way Home. They wouldn't just do that if there wasn't a longer-term plan. There are rumors he's going to be appearing in She-Hulk, Echo. So this has been coming for some time. So the question is not, is Daredevil going to come back? The question is what Daredevil is going to come back as. And that is sort of what I want to talk on as something that's been a point of contention in the MCU TV experiment so far, particularly post Moon Knight, seems to be the rigidity in which they either make these series six or nine episodes. Now, I don't think anybody has been made aware exactly what algorithm or creative strategy they use to determine which gets six and which get nine. But I know that a complaint that I had and a complaint that I had seen on Twitter was that the finale felt rushed. It just sort of felt like the finale of Moon Knight happened. Right. So I think a key thing to talk about is, do we see Daredevil being positioned as like a six episode event, which is what they sold Moon Knight as and went around telling the press every chance they got, oh, well, it's only one season. We don't know if we're going to do season two. And then season one ends with a with a with a rock solid cliffhanger. So regardless of what they tell us, we can't even believe them. My point being is. I am hoping that this is a continual series. I'm hoping that they're, they're, they're not trying to do a one-year type deal. Given the sort of fan passion around the character, I imagine that that's the plan. Where do you see, or, or if you had to guess, how do you think that they'll roll out the show? If it's just one season, I think that will lead into movies or or a team-up show, kind of like The Defenders, but not The Defenders, maybe Midnight Suns and stuff like that. Right, uh, right. I, I think Daredevil has a place uh, long-term on Disney+, Plus, though, um, whether that is one continuing series. I hope it is, because I think that as a character that has a lot of rich comic stories and um, has great characters that jive well uh, in terms of they have good chemistry over a 10 hour arc, right? Rather than two hours, Daredevil's the main focus. We're going to move quick. Uh, I want to see, you know, Foggy and uh, Matt Murdock hang out. That's what I enjoyed uh, on top of the action. Right. So, so that's what I hope. And then I think another major talking point that came out of this news is how Disney plusified is the show going to be now was daredevil in its original incarnation was it human centipede no but was it <laughs> but was it uh you know relatively violent i mean season three there's a famous scene which you've not um seen of course but it's I know what you're talking about daredevil covered in blood just screaming in yeah. kingpin's face i beat you like this is some gnarly kind of shit so one of the immediate things that fans worried about was how sort of true to the character or the previous show will this be and this i think is ultimately the concern that i have because again not to you know pile on the show if we look at moon knight all of moon knight's supposed brutal action was hidden <laughs> under the plot device of jake lockley and yeah. we never saw it happen and yeah. it was just implied off screen. And if we get, and I saw your tweet saying we better get one of those iconic long one take fight scenes that they've done in every season. Cade, I hate to break it to you, pal. <laughs> I, I, I hate to break it to you, pal. I don't see that sort of show yeah. coming out of Disney Plus. Now, maybe the next few shows will write the ship, right? I think Ms. Marvel looks legit good. Yeah. Does it look violent and dark? No, but yeah, it looks good. Not. I'm particularly yeah. down on the MCU TV show experience right now because of Moon Knight. That yeah. could change. But just seeing what we just saw unfold with Moon Knight, that has me concerned with how far that they're going to be willing to push Daredevil if and when, not if and when, when he does come back. 
Yeah. No, it's, it's, I, I keep telling people like, Hey, you're concerned about the riders. You should be concerned more about Disney plus. Like that is right. the bigger barrier here. Cause riders take jobs and that offers different variations in quality, but Disney plus has shown kind of like, you know, we had uh Falcon and the winter soldier, which pushed some lines, I think for violence in the MCU. I mean, you see uh, mm-hmm. what's his face, his arm, like snap. And like that, that whole warehouse fight is. And I'd say that, uh, well, yeah, right. His arm does snap in that scene. And I, yeah, right. When he does kills, I mean, that, but again, it was implied. It's, yeah. It's like we, we were all shook because, whoa, there's blood on his face. Like (laughs) that is the bar that Marvel has to clear, which is not very high. Yeah. I mean, the first season of Daredevil has a scene where. Kingpin smashes a guy's head into a door. With a car door. It's, it's mush. Right, exactly. Like, exactly. That's, that, that's just not going to happen. Nothing right. like that is going to happen. You might get some violence. That I mean, we've already edgy, seen what their, what the Disney plusified version of Kingpin looks like. Yeah, he's a fucking bouncy castle. He just so, jumps all over the place. So, <laughs> and I think it's fascinating to see how the culture reacted to this news. I think a lot of the response has been sort of like, you know, that meme of Wario where he's in heaven and it's like, I've won, but at what cost? Yeah, that's <laughs> basically this, right? Like, yes, sure. we have gotten the character and the show that we've wanted, but there's a huge caveat, but it's a Disney Plus show, which like is sort of like a derogatory term. Not, not sort of not sure. Not yet, but I think it's getting there. If Miss Marvel yeah. bombs they're in trouble because She-Hulk, which we'll talk about soon, doesn't look like it's going to be the throat clearer that they need. The only Marvel TV show, and I look through the list, actually, let me pull it up now quick. Okay, so the only Marvel Cinematic Universe TV show that I'm legitimately excited for is, you know what, Kate? Guess. Here's the list. We've got Miss Marvel, She-Hulk, Werewolf by Night, which I would be excited about if we knew more of, but since it's still online, is untitled Halloween special. I don't know if that one quite counts yet. Uh, the Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special, Secret Invasion, Iron Heart, Armor Wars, and an untitled Wakanda series. Which of those do you think I'm most hyped for? The holiday special. No. Secret really? Invasion. Okay. Point being... You look at that list, right? There's no sort of Falcon and Winter Soldier Loki type heavy hitter on the horizon where there are characters that fans have known and loved for a long time and can't wait to see. So if she uh, if Miss Marvel is not a hit, that is only just going to have a trickle down effect. Right. Which will eventually lead us to the point of where we're almost knocking on the door of now is something being a Disney Plus show a bad thing. And that is the ultimate conversation that we're having here. What is the Disney Plus brand going to do to a beloved character? And the fact that that is where the conversation seems to naturally, like I'm not making this up of my own (laughs) narrative. This is what I've seen online. People being like, eh, but. So fingers crossed I'm wrong. But right now, given everything I've seen, I am excited to see Daredevil come back. I don't know if I'm excited for a Daredevil show. No, that's completely valid. Like it's, I've said, like, I'm not going to be all doom and gloom, but I'm not going to get super excited because it's like this could go anyway, you know, and and I think it would. I hope Marvel knows they're they're smart people over there for the most part that people like this show for a very specific reason. They've put the original series on Disney Plus with all of its violence included. They know what people like. They know what people don't like about their current shows. 
But also, I don't know, like, because there are a lot of people outside of us that are like, Moon Knight was the best show ever. And I'm like, mm, I, I think not to disparage how people feel, but I think people sure. who are willing to look at it with a genuinely critical, subjective eye see its flaws. I yes. think that the propulsion of it's sort of like a Snyder Cut-esque uh, review blitz where like they, they go on run tomatoes and like spam upvote the <laughs> reviews. I'm getting yeah. that sort of same vibe from Moon Knight where in the fandom just doesn't want to admit that the MCU had a swing and miss. And yeah. look, I mean, I'm not thrilled about it, but I'm willing to acknowledge the truth. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, at the same time, there's a lot of very vocal haters on Doctor Strange, which I think they're crazy, but uh people who are like this movie sucks or this movie is not very good but uh, so. that also sort of ties into the overall disney plus conversation that we're having because now yeah. marvel finds itself in a place where i mean just from the discourse i've seen this week where people are like is this franchise mid now yeah that's exactly it there are a lot of people i heard that exact thing last night from a friend who's a very casual moviegoer but follows marvel and he was like Dude, Marvel's got me real concerned right now, and I'm like, and then if you look at the, that crazy, and bad, then it, but, you know? but but if you look at the Disney Plus lineup of shows, and this is something that I had been banging the drum for for a year, you look at the oversaturation that they're doing to themselves, and while you see a ton of projects and that theoretically should excite fans, not a single one of them gets you out of your seat as no, far yeah. as I'm concerned. You know, I saw, and we're carrying on a bit long on this topic, so we'll wrap up quick. I saw today rumors that a quote major summer blockbuster is counting down the clock to finish its VFX by the time it's done. And guess what film everyone <laughs> thought it was? Thor 4. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. Did they say what it was? No, it was a, uh, no, the, the, uh, the source they saw it from, which I think was viewer anon or some shit, but uh -huh. everyone in the replies was just like, Oh, it's Thor 4. It's Thor 4 right, because yeah. <laughs> the trailer looked ass. Yeah. I remember when I saw Shang-Chi, I was like, Marvel, could be on a bit of a run here because I thought the Black Widow was pretty ass, but I thought Shang-Chi was very good. So then I looked yeah, like looked at the list and they had Eternals, yeah. which I had huge hopes for. <laughs> no Way Home, Doctor Strange 2, Thor 4, Black Panther 2. You look at that and you think to yourself, wow, that's banger after banger after banger. Eternals, while not a financial bomb, was a critical and cultural bomb. <laughs> no Way Home... I think its best features were the ones that had the least to do with the MCU in and mm -hmm. of itself. Sure. Doctor Strange 2 has been divisive. I was a huge fan, but it has been a bit divisive, largely because of the raminess of it, I think. Yeah. And Thor 4, you know, people think Thor 3 is one of the best MCU films of all time. Taika right. is an Oscar-winning actor. Chris Hemsworth is the first MCU star to get a fourth solo film. Three years ago, we, we'd be like, this is money in the fucking bank. And now the MCU has driven us to a point where it's the first film on people's minds when there's rumors about bad VFX. So I think that whether we like it or not, Marvel has pushed itself into a conversation of, are they sacrificing quality for quantity? Yeah, I completely agree. All right, speaking of quality over quantity... Uh, Star Wars, they unrolled a massive sort of look ahead piece in Vanity Fair this week that teased Obi-Wan and Mandalorian and Andor and the Acolyte and the movies. So let's just run through sort of the big takeaways from that piece. Taika Waititi's film is expected to be the next 
Star Wars film to come out, although we don't know when, and they were particularly mom on the film side of things. Mm -hmm. John Watts, director of Spider-Man No Way Home, is confirmed to be developing a Star Wars series set after Return of the Jedi. Should we just run through them all and then sort of go back and share our thoughts, or do you want to? Okay. Ryan Johnson's Star Wars trilogy is still happening, but it's on the back burner while he develops the Knives Out films. Kathleen Kennedy said... Solo, um, paraphrasing here, Solo taught us we can't recast iconic characters. The Mandalorian Season 3 will release in late 2022 or early 2023, and Andor will release late summer 2022. Cade, what of what I just said sticks out to you the most? I'm going to start with the Kathleen Kennedy comments about Solo, I think, uh, because they say this as they're promoting a show about a character that is a recast of another character from the original trilogy talking about obi-wan of course well while i hear your point do you think she meant specifically for like the newer generation like let's be frank he was recast 25 years ago sure yeah no like it's there i I just don't think not that i'm trying to defend her but you can't compare the media entertainment climate of 1997 and right now Especially because George Lucas was involved in all of that, right? right? Like there was a a vision there that maybe wasn't there for this movie. Uh, but I think personally, that was not the problem with that movie. I like Solo. I like your T-shirt, the Northman T-shirt. That's sick. Uh, I need I need one of those. Um, but uh, that that wasn't the problem with that movie. I like that movie quite a bit, actually. I think it's one of the better movies of the Disney Which? era. Seth? Solo, Solo. Oh, Solo. Okay. Yeah. Um, but uh, the problem with that movie was you, you threw out your crew and then it came after The Last Jedi, which people were already kind of mixed on. And it came out like six months after. Like mm-hmm. there were many, many other issues beyond, oh, you recast Han Solo. Because I think most people are like, we like him. He's OK, at least yeah, like right. nobody hated him. Uh, it, it, that if the movie the was good, people would have gone back for more. Period. Yeah. The end. Yeah. No. That's that's exactly it. It just that's not what the problem was, and I feel like they're learning the wrong lesson there. But that's just me. And now instead, they're giving us deep fake Luke Skywalker. Yeah, so they've the completely pivoted in the <laughs> other direction. I mean, look, Kathleen Kennedy. I would say, to put it lightly, is a divisive figure. I am not a overly passionate Star Wars fan, so I am not. I don't really have an opinion on her either way. I will say that this quote is just stupid. Um, (laughs) Like like to apply a Band-Aid rule to a unique instant in reaction to a very unique instance is just insane for me. That that would be like if you fucked up on the podcast once and I was like, I can't have (laughs) co-hosts. That's exactly it. It's like what kind like, of thought? What kind of thought process? Is it that? is the most extreme reaction to something that was relatively minor. Yeah. So, all right. What else we got here? Ryan Johnson trilogy. They claim is still happening. I'm calling bullshit on that one. I just don't, I just don't see it. I wouldn't say it at this point. Just be right. like, what are you? I, like, what? I'm wondering <laughs> if they are. If they are a hoping that two things will occur in the next few years the taste of the last jedi will fade away while ryan johnson's star via knives out two and three continues to rise so post knives out two and three ryan johnson i mean people could be like if those films are good people could be like this dude just ripped off three fucking like original uh detective blockbuster hits like that people will be impressed again so you know maybe they're just trying to uh you know, keep the rights to them for lack of a better term. Um, 
So let's just skip that one. Nando, late 2022 or early 2023. I think we expected that and or late summer. That's cool. I don't know if I knew that. They had been telling us this year. I think this is the first time that they get given us a substantial date. I think that the most notable piece of news here is that John Watts is developing what's described as like an Amblin Steven Spielberg 80s yeah. adventure type series <clears throat> after Return of Jedi. I know our, our friend and old co-host Brandon Katz has complaints about things being set in the Skywalker saga. I agree. Yeah. That said, if there are two genre mashups that are made for each other, it is Star Wars space opera sci-fi and Steven Spielberg young, wide-eyed adventure yeah. vibes. That is an unbelievable... And that is what John Watts does. He is yeah. sort of an 80s <clears throat> kind of... People love to compare his work to... John Hughes. John Hughes. I was going to say John Carpenter, which is very different. <laughs> yeah, that'd be a weird kind of Spider-Man movie. That's the one where he has, like, spider arms. Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> so, you know, people compare his work to John Hughes, which, of course, is 80s-soaked. So I think that that is a very intriguing idea. Perhaps it explains why he walked away from Fantastic Four. You know, I would love to know whether or not it's actually going to follow kids, like kids in the Jedi Order or something. Uh, But yeah, I I think it's fascinating to see how much news they gave us in regards to TV and how little they gave us in regards to films and where and what that says about Star Wars as a franchise in and of itself and entertainment as a whole. Arguably one of the biggest American pop culture media properties of all time is focusing on quote unquote TV and not film. Yeah. But they don't yeah. even see it like that because they the one quote from there was Star Wars is no longer about trilogies. It's about continuous interconnected storytelling. So they're sort of taking this in a very MCU-esque approach, which worked and still works. So I'm excited for what Star Wars has to come in the next few years. Them pulling it off is a different thing entirely. Uh, speaking of... Okay, go ahead. The one and only other thing was uh, Kathleen, or not Kathleen, uh, Patty Jenkins's Rogue Squadron is apparently also like off to the side. But they said it's still happening. It's still happening. But that was yeah. like both the Ryan Johnson trilogy and her movie were rumored a while ago. Like, hey, these are like shelved right now. So yeah. Yeah. who knows? Yeah. And we've learned that we really can't take their word for it at all. They yeah. announced a Lando show a few years back. Really? We have, yeah. <laughs> Google it. They showed off a logo and everything. We haven't heard a shit about it since. So I really take whatever they promote or announce or try to <laughs> hype up with a grain of salt. Yeah. <laughs> it was like not that long ago either. Um, okay. Yeah. All right. So speaking about having faith in studios pulling things off, She-Hulk trailer dropped this week. And I have very little faith in Marvel falling this long. <laughs> now, I made this clear in a post that I wrote about this week. I don't, and just because I know how reactive the internet can be, I don't want this to be accused of me having some kind of sexist agenda <laughs> against Miss Marvel and She-Hulk. And there was one more, Miss Marvel, She-Hulk. Because my problems with the MCU's shows right now stem from fucking Moon Knight. Yeah. And I think Miss Marvel looks <laughs> quite good i don't think she hulk looks good i think that this trailer is sort of a nexus point for what we talked about at the top of is marvel mid now mid in many ways mid in terms of is this a character that we need to see mid in terms of actual quality of product people were roasting the cgi nonstop. now so let's start there what do you think is to quote unquote blame for the cgi's 
quality or lack thereof so far? Do you think that's because it's a TV show and that's just what they are? Do you think it's because Marvel is overexpanding themselves? Or do you think they just don't care? I think it's a mix of a lot of things. Not giving these people time. Like, uh, if you ask a lot of VFX people, I I, I love to keep up with this kind of stuff because I'm fascinated by it. They will tell you, if you're given time, you can make anything, right? And so time is the ultimate decider. So they need James time. Cameron, 13 years. Exactly. He and that that shit's got crazy ass looking water, right? Yeah, so right. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's that's the biggest thing. Time and then TV budget is obviously smaller, but Disney is keeps on saying we're making you know movies for TV, basically, right? Like which Disney, has not been true so far. Not really. No. Um. Like yes, this all looks way better than like CW or whatever, right. but. You like I still think maybe Peacemaker probably looks better than most Disney Plus mm, shows, mm. you know. So it, it's it's a combination of things, and I think they're just like we can get away with it because people are gonna watch it, and people are subscribed to Disney Plus. Are they gonna unsubscribe for this? I doubt it. So, but the fact that this got trending, CGI, the word, the term CGI yeah. got trending because of this, and I I heard a lot of people who I normally would not hear comment on these kinds of things be like, that looks like ass CGI wise. I think the show looks fun, but. The CG is fucking terrible. <laughs> so you're into the vibe of the show itself, because that was sort yeah. of my next point. She-Hulk is going to follow up Miss Marvel, and those both look like inherently sort of light, bubbly shows. Yeah. And Marvel get away with that sort of tone back to back? It'd be interesting. I think the idea, one is kind of a coming-of-age story, and the other one is like... Uh, Workplace comedy type thing, right? Yeah, like a lady embracing her sexuality. And right, right. Fun, right. And, and she's right. on Tinder as she Right, will. yes, but those are still, <laughs> but I, I guess my point yeah, is no, they are very when you compare tones. those to the tone of even No Way Home, which was, right. you know, pretty fucking serious. I yeah. just, I think Miss Marvel is going to be good. I think it's going to be a very sort of Spider Man homecoming esque type of fun. She-Hulk has me extremely worried because it just looks like a sort of ad lib of MCU content, right? Sure. All right, let's get a, and again, I'm all for this, but this just seems like the thought process that led them to this show. Let's get a female lead, okay? Mm -hmm. Let's make it like The Office. Let's throw in some rom-com vibes and let's put it on TV. Yeah. And I just don't know if that's why people come to the MCU. No, yeah, it, it is a weird idea for an mcu show but one that is so weird that i'm kind of here for especially with abomination being part of it where she's gonna like be involved in his case or whatever right like his representation which i mean it's been uh almost 20 years and this guy hasn't hasn't gotten a court case yet a fair trial (laughs) uh but uh yeah i i think there's some interesting ideas i need to see a little bit more of it but i'm i'm on board but the cgi again is like if how many episodes is this nine i don't know i think so uh that's a long nine hours of staring at that ugly ass face not her face she's she's a beautiful woman but the cgi face well that was my next point (laughs) do you think that that the cgi that we saw is the final product i would be amazed i mean it comes out in august Mm -hmm. if they can really clean it up that much like because well, you hear about films and shows that come down to the wire, like when sure. episode one of Peacemaker dropped, James Gunn was still working on six and seven, you know? Yeah, so no, like, yeah, that's usually how it goes. They're usually finishing up the end of the series as the first one airs. Uh, it, it's it's uh, someone was saying like part of the issue is proportions 
so she's a giant character she's bigger than her normal self right so trying to move a face and have the proportions right it can really look off and when you have a character like hulk which is not as human looking unless you're professor hulk it's it's a little easier uh right but yeah i I don't know it'll be interesting to see if they they address this directly because i think they kind of have to it's just like not sonic the hedgehog but like it's it's bordering (laughs) i didn't even really notice it was i didn't i i truthfully didn't even think it was that bad the way I described it is like when you see a deep fake and you can tell it's a deep fake because like, it's like someone is emoting underneath like right. glue or right, something. Right, 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 right. Plastic. Good point. Good point. Okay. And then, yeah, you sort of touched on it. This series is set to feature cameos or supporting character roles from Hulk, Abomination, Wong, and in all likelihood, Daredevil. Mm-hmm. All right, let's swing over to everyone's favorite segment of the week. <laughs> Kate's Game and Corner. Uh, but Kate, let's try to keep it tight today because sure. we've got some some more to get Absolutely. to. Absolutely. Uh, the first one is, uh, I'll start with the quickest one. Starfield has been delayed to 2023. Ooh. <laughs> it's, it's really unfortunate news because this and another game Bethesda is making called Redfield. That's the name, something like that. Uh was uh the only game redfall were the only games they had uh for 2022 so far i mean they this summer they'll have their showcase they could announce something for the fall to fill its void but that's a huge gap in your release schedule since like the last game they had was halo infinite in december so that's you know significant oh, um, that did halo i didn't know that no no, no sorry i should say xbox Oh, because oh. oh, what I, I want to ask is, are these Bethesda's first games since Xbox bought them? Yes. Okay. Yep. Uh, so that's, you know, it's good to see them taking time. They just said, we need more time, you know, and there were some, some reports and rumors going around that it wasn't in the best of shape, like nothing mm-hmm. maybe too egregious, depending on who you ask, but people are like, eh, this is rough. So mm-hmm. Uh, it's good to see them taking their time. That's the most important thing. But for Xbox as a brand, it's like you've been fighting this. You got no games battle for a long time, and now this year you really actually have nothing. So is this and- something that gamers? What does this news mean to gamers? To somebody like me, casual as it comes, right? Am I bummed that I won't get to play Starfield as soon as possible? Absolutely. But do I re- read into it past that? No. As a gamer, are you like Bethesda? What the fuck? Like, <laughs> is this a really bad fuck up? Like, are people cyberpunk gunshy now where they're really taking every precaution that they possibly yeah. can? What led to this happening? It's it's both, actually. So I think a lot of people are like, Bethesda, we get it. Xbox, what are you doing? Because, you know, Xbox is basically the publisher of this. They are the business managers of this decision. And so everyone's like, Bethesda, we're glad to see you're taking your time. Xbox, this leaves you with a huge hole in your schedule. And and this su- fall sometime, uh, PlayStation will release the new God of War. And they have nothing to compete, compete with. with. Yeah, so it's just like, what we're over here. But why does that matter? And why does that matter? I think because part of it the is... ever ongoing gaming wars <laughs> yeah. and fight and fight for. I mean, seriously, why does yeah. that matter? That it's part of that. It's just kind of an ego thing. But at the same time, it's also like I bought your box and I subscribed to your subscription service, right. and you told me right if I'm here in November of 2021, and they gave a hard date when they didn't need to. They could have said we're planning for a fall release. Yeah, they said November 11th, 2022, over a year and a half before they needed to say anything like that. Right. And so 
everyone was like, that's really confident. They're like, we're sticking to it. And then they didn't. And um, yeah. it's just kind of like, I, I prepared for this. And now you're telling me I have to wait probably another six months. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I've name checked this game specifically as, I know. as like a next gen exactly. game that I am beyond type for. Yeah. yeah. And, and uh, I know a lot of people bought an Xbox Series S because they're like, I need something in the Series X isn't available. And now, you know, in that time, there could be more Series Xs available. So it's just kind of like, eh, right, right. It seems inconvenient. So um, more than anything, it's just a bad luck. Pretty much. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but again, better to release a, a game that's good than rushing one out yes, bad absolutely the deadline cyberpunk uh, looking at you exactly exactly and the I other mean, the story... hype for that game was astronomical absurd and the way yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> i mean the news of that game it broke like and you know we've seen this a lot over the last few years i remember the avengers game had huge hype that yep. that was a pile of shit so like i'm all for them taking their time to put out the best game possible i'm just I was curious, like, does this affect the bottom line business? Does the stock get hurt because of that? Probably not, because Xbox, okay. again, just has a lot of, like, other ways to make money with their subscriptions and stuff. And uh, depending on when that Activision deal closes, you know, uh, they could have a lot of games from their library to come to Game Pass, you know, day one. So right. that, that'd be big. Okay. Um the other big news is uh, Silent Hill, a lot of rumors, leaks of screenshots uh, hit the web earlier this week. And nothing is there hasn't been a new Silent Hill game in a decade. Mm. And, uh, you know, there was going to be one with Hideo Kojima and it was canceled. And it was a very big tragedy. Um, Your boy. My boy. He, uh, he, he, he got hit hard by that one. And so everyone was really sad about that. And everyone's been longing for something to fill that void. And uh, Konami's just like, you know what? Silent Hill, we're not doing anything with it. And then over the last few years, there's been more and more rumors. And so the rumors start with uh, earlier this week, some screenshots leaked of a game that has not been announced. And it was a variety of things, like just some environments and stuff. So nothing too specific. Um, and some mentions of... Uh, sms texting and this was a thing that was rumored a long time ago for hideo kojima's silent hill game where you had to sign a waiver before you played the game because it was they so scary you, no they'd send you real life text messages and oh, you wow. you'd have to interact with them That's as you play cool. the game so very interesting stuff and that could be making a return in some form um and then the rumor continues on uh separately from other sources that multiple new games are in the works a remake of silent hill 2 from the people who made the blair witch video game um an episodic series okay it's it's okay it's an all right game um an episodic series possibly from annapurna uh who has their own gaming division and a like core silent hill big budget game from no one knows people think it could be kojima since they're not putting a name on this one but nobody knows quite yet what are the gaming world's opinion of the silent hill film i remember seeing it as a teenager not <laughs> yeah. knowing that that it was a game first and it actually yeah. scared the fuck out of me <laughs> it, it's funny that you say that no one really talks about it like you would think it would Isn't have like charlie theron in that movie too someone someone notable is in that movie yes um but you would think like that's a relatively decent horror movie like it's not the best thing in the world but um, no, it doesn't star in a famous actress. It doesn't it, does, that? it does have Sean Bean in it. Okay. <laughs> uh, no, you know who it has? Mm. It has the actress who looks like Charlize Theron, but she is... Um, Sorry, we're going on a major tangent. No, 
Carrie Ann Moss and Kit Harrington and Malcolm McDowell were in the sequel. So they made they a sequel. Yeah. Oh my god! It was six years later. Uh, I don't know if it's like a direct sequel, but I know Sean Bean was in it, so it's like loosely linked. Um, but yeah, like those movies aren't terrible, but like they're definitely like on the. Oh, uh, got mid-end. it. She's the mother and Man on Fire. Okay. Yeah. 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 Yep. yep, um, yep, yep, yep. But that movie, I mean. Uh, I'm sure it got terrible reviews. Thirty-two percent <laughs> doubled its budget at the box yeah. office. So, yeah, I mean, like, no one really looks at that as like, uh, I don't know, what's a really bad movie adaptation of a video game? You know, nothing like that. Right. But right I don't right. think it's at the high, and it's just somewhere in between. Um, but yeah, uh, Silent Hill is a very beloved franchise, and Resident Evil has kind of taken its place over the last five uh-huh. years or so. So. Um, with three titles in development, that seems like they're making an aggressive comeback. And uh-huh. uh, that's, that's promising. Uh, at least one of those has to be good, just mathematically, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, I thought that before plenty of times and have been proved wrong. All right, let's breeze through some quick hitters. We've got tons of stuff to talk about. Wall Street Journal dropped a new piece this week about Warner Bros. new CEO, David Zaslav. Sounds like he's going to run a tight fucking ship. Of the notable tidbits from the story was he axed the DC Project Wonder Twins film because he thought its $75 million budget was too high. He (laughs) wants Warner Bros. to release 20 to 25 theatrical films a year. (sighs) Studios just being like, content, 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 content is so fucking draining and so stupid. He wants to remake Warner Bros to have a similar sh- structure to Disney with separate entities with individual creative leaders for divisions like DC, New Line, and Animation who will all report to uh overall film boss that oversees total output. Uh, and he wants to keep the budget of HBO Max original films 35 million and under. Budgetarily, I like where this guy's head is at. Mm-hmm. Wonder Twins would have been a fucking bomb, guaranteed. So, smart move there. The 20 to 25 theatrical a year, I feel like, is setting yourself up for failure. Um, Margot Robbie set to star and produce in an Ocean's Eleven prequel film set in 1960s Europe. Sign me up. Teaser <laughs> for the Predator sequel Prey dropped earlier this week. It'll hit Hulu on August 5th. Looks cool. Trailer for The Boys Season 3 dropped this week. That'll premiere on Prime Video on June 3rd. Netflix is considering giving Knives Out to a 45-day theatrical window. WandaVision director Matt Shakeman will helm the Godzilla and the Titans live action series at Apple TV+. Kevin Feige says Loki has been the most most watched MCU series on Disney Plus so far. Oh, wow. A good show. People watch it. <laughs> it's funny how that works. <laughs> God damn. Uh, Kevin Feige uh, said that one already. Amber Heard claims that Warner Bros. removed a bunch, quote, a bunch of her scenes from Aquaman 2. Daniel Craig was rumored to be considered for a role in Multiverse of Madness. Cade, go ahead. I mean, like, he he was supposed to be Mr. Fantastic or Balder. No one can really iron out which one it was, but, like, apparently he was, like, in, right? And uh, then... COVID scared him Something off. Something about understandably. Or Yeah, like he didn't want to bring COVID back to his family in case he got it. So he said, I'm out. But uh, you have it here. Would make a great Victor Von Doom, and I fucking totally agree. Oh, yeah. uh, that, that is the role that I would love to see him play. Yeah, he, he, need, he needs to join up in the MCU as something. I need it. Pirates of the Caribbean producer Jerry Bruckheimer confirms that they're working on a script for Margot Robbie. I feel like of all the actors in the world, she is 
arguably the perfect choice for this franchise. A new season of Black Mirror is in the works at Netflix. HBO has renewed Barry for season four. Jack Reacher star Alan Richson has joined the cast of Fast X. And Pixar has released the concept art and plot synopsis for their 2023 film, Elemental. Directed by Peter Son, who I think did The Good Dinosaur, uh, the film journeys alongside an unlikely pair, <laughs> Ember and Wade, in a city where fire, water, land, and air residents live together. The Avatar. The, f- <laughs> the fiery young woman and the go-with-the-flow guy are about to discover something elemental. How much they actually have in common. Elemental is an original film inspired by Sun's childhood in New York City. Sounds dope. Sounds kind of like an inside-out type thing. Yeah, would be cool. All right. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're doing our Tom Cruise Mount Rushmore before my interview with John Hamm. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, price line. All right, and we are back for our Tom Cruise Mount Rushmore. Now, we have done a Mount Rushmore before. We usually bounce back and forth between drafts. Um, but a Mount Rushmore is fun because it sees us sort of team up instead of going head to head. Now, the last time we did a Mount Rushmore was back in August of last year. We did the Mount Rushmore of Mindfuck films. Our top five wound up being 2001, A Space Odyssey, the original Planet of the Apes, Christopher Nolan's entire filmography, <laughs> The Matrix, and Shutter Island, which is a pick that I fought hard for. Yeah. Today, we are going with a Tom Cruise Mount Rushmore. We are trying to figure out, and here at Postgred Pod, we do five, not four, because, because I said so, frankly. I don't really, <laughs> I don't, there I don't should really be five presidents on this. Uh, yeah, I just, I, <laughs> I just think that five is probably just a rounder. You know yeah. what I realized today? Are five and ten such integral numbers to mankind because of our fingers it has to be right yeah that that's a deep fucking thought like, Holy like shit. why else would five <laughs> be such a commonly used thing because i could yeah. imagine back in the stone age we were like one two three four five and it's that's how it started right yeah um so point being we're doing five movies for top <laughs> quick stoner thought aside um all right so how we're gonna do this is well, let me make a quick few notes first. Tom Cruise made his feature film debut in the 1981 film Endless Love, where he cameoed as a character named Billy. Now, what I noticed when I made this list and I wrote out his filmography in Cade and Mine's doc, and Cade, to be clear, this is not every film he's made. No, I just I, <laughs> I just handpicked the ones it's that I crazy. think. I know. I just, I just handpicked the ones that I figured deserve to be in the conversation at the very least. So what we'll do is, because I realized this man is now with the release of Top Gun 2 and the impending release of MI8 has made a Stone Cold hit in five straight decades, which is 80s, 90s, 2000s, 2010s, and 2020s. That's insane. So what we're going to do is we're going to run through it by decade, talk about the films real quick if we feel like we need to, any thoughts that we may have. There's going to be some that we've not seen, and that's totally fine because the debate is not so much about the quality of the movie, but how it fits into the context of his career and how we see him. So with that in mind, let's start with the 
1983, Tom Cruise stars in The Outsider. In 1983, he also stars in Risky Business and All the Right Moves. In 1986, he stars in Top Gun. In 1986, he also stars in Martin Scorsese's The Color of the Money. In 1988, he stars in Rain Man. And in 1989, he stars in Born on the Fourth of July, which he was nominated for Best Actor at the Academy Awards, one of his two noms for Best Actor and one of his three nominations overall. Cade, I think we have to include a 90s film. I mean, sorry, an 80s film in our list, at least one of them. I think it's probably fair to get rid of all the right moves. Yes. I think it's probably fair to get rid of The Outsiders. Yes. Have you seen that movie? No. It's based off of a book, the book. that like all schools have to read. Uh, right, right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that leaves us with Risky Business, Top Gun, The Color of Money, Rain Man, and Born on the Fourth of July. Some people will say that The Color of Money is like Scorsese's best film. I've never seen it. Even if I have, I don't think it would make this list. So we're going to delete that as well. That leaves us in the 1980s with Risky Business, Top Gun, Rain Man, and Born on the 4th of July. I think that we should leave that as is for now. Yes, I would say all of these are like seminal movies, like culturally, right? Not like, even in the Tom Cruise context, yeah, just in the cultural curious. context. Like you think of Risky Business, like the sliding across the floor and singing and, mm, and stuff like right. that. Like, that's, in, that's used in like... Tide commercials and yeah. shit these days. Yeah. <laughs> that's the bar, right? <laughs> yeah. Great point, actually. That's a great point. That's yeah. something that I had not really thought about. Okay, so we're leaving the 80s with four films on the board. Risky Business, Top Gun, Rain Man, and Born on the 4th of July. Now we move on to the 90s. He stars in A Few Good Men alongside Jack Nicholson in 1992. He stars in The Firm in 1993. He stars alongside Brad Pitt in interview with the vampire in 1994 i've not seen that but i really should have you yes yes is it good an interesting movie okay (laughs) but not good enough to be top five i'm gonna guess yeah probably not all right so let's bang let's let's delete that one on the firm right now 1996 he stars in the first mission impossible also in 1996 he stars in jerry Maguire, which saw him nominated for best actor for the second time in his career in 1999 he starred in stanley kubrick's eyes wide shut his the last film Crazy. before he died yeah coincidental how stanley kubrick's movie about uh, secret societies <laughs> among the rich came out and then he died <laughs> interesting interesting uh all right that came out in 1999 as did magnolia which saw tom cruise get nominated for best supporting actor his last nomination at the academy awards it's been almost 25 years because in the 2000s his career changes quite a bit and we'll yeah. talk about that when we get there all right so the 90s leave us with a few good men mi1 Jerry Maguire, Eyes Wide Shut, and Magnolia. Uh, I think Eyes Wide Shut is gone. Really interesting. Because would you say that's an iconic Tom Cruise movie? Maybe not a Tom Cruise movie. That's more of like Stanley Kubrick, like going crazy, right? Right, right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. fair. Fair, fair, fair. And I, we will take out Magnolia, which, I, if correct me if I'm wrong, I think that that's a PTA film. Yep. It is. So yep. you've seen that too. Yep. And? It's very good. <laughs> that's really all i have to say about that it's been a while but it is a uh very very good movie uh if i remember it's it's quite long yeah three hours and eight minutes so i is... was gonna say that that one is probably gonna get knocked off as well 
that it's it's hard because like that's probably his best like performance dramatic performance yeah, okay like, so then for that point alone it'll stay on for now because okay. i think that, that that's a very fair point to make because we could diversify our top five right like one could yeah. be his blockbuster moneymaker hit one yeah. could be his like critical dramatic work you know what i mean sure. all right great okay so we leave the 90s with a few good men mi1 jerry Maguire, and magnolia that gives us a total of eight films so far oh, risky business <laughs> top gun rain man born on the fourth of july a few good men mi1 jerry Maguire, and magnolia we're on to the 21st century mission impossible 2 in 2000 vanilla sky in 2002 minority report in 2003 sorry in 2002, The Last Samurai in 2003, a cameo in Goldmember in 2003, Collateral in 2004, War of the Worlds in 2005, his highest grossing non-MI film with $592 million, MI3 in 2006, a iconic role in Tropic Thunder in 2008, and Valkyrie in 2008. I think that this decade is probably the easiest to pare down. So. Yes. MI2 and Vanilla Sky are gone. Yeah. Goldmember and Collateral are gone. Mission- I don't know. Collateral is an interesting one because he's All right, like we'll first, leave it like, for now. Okay. Villain role, you know, and that was like True. He's very scary. True. Like, he is great in that movie. He is really I don't know if he'll crack top five, but, but I, it's I, worth I, keeping it's for now. Yeah, keeping, yeah, yeah. All right. So Goldmember, Cameo gone. Collateral is staying. I think War of the Worlds could stay, should stay. Not only is it his highest grossing non-MI film. He worked with Spielberg, which I think is something to stamp. MI3, I think, is gone. I, I got to fight. This is the one I got to fight for. Really? I, I, I've never seen this, this one. Yeah. Oh, my God, dude. It, it's, this is the J.J. Yeah. Abrams one, right? And doesn't yeah. Philip Seymour Hoffman play the bad guy? Yeah. It's, it's fucking... I think it's... When I came into this list, I'm like, it's going to, I can't do two Mission Impossible movies. If we're gonna okay, exactly. Because... So, and I don't think that this is going to be the one. But the one I, I, it was between three and Fallout for me because three is like crazy good. Like oh, it sh- saved the franchise probably. Yeah. All right. So we'll keep three. Tropic Thunder is staying, even though we both know it's not going to make the <laughs> top five, but it's just <laughs> such a fucking great yeah. role that we got to keep it. This is the last horseman. Who is this? This is Flaming Blackwood. Okay, flaming dragon, fuck face. First, take a big step back and literally fuck your own face. And Valkyrie is gone. 2010s. Now here, I think it's the first time where there's a potential sort of wobble in his career. Yeah. We're like, is Tom Cruise losing it here? Yeah. Not quite losing it, but people I think raised an eyebrow a bit. 2010, he stars in Night and Day, which fun fact. Hold on, let me just confirm that this is the film that I'm thinking of. <laughs> Isn't that Cameron Diaz, I think, right? Uh-huh. <laughs> Night and Day was directed by Logan and Indiana Jones 5 right. director James Mangold. Yep. Which is <laughs> I love that. Why, why not, right? What the fuck? <laughs> All right, but not strange movie for him, but hey. Night and Day is still gone. Uh Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol. Not as good as Fallout. Still, it was a film that made people think like, oh, these MI films kind of bang. Yeah. But we're going to delete that one because it's not even in a top three MI film. Rock of Ages, 2012, gone. Jack Reacher, 2012, <laughs> gone. Oblivion, 2013, gone. In that period, it was like, eh, none of those are outright those stinkers, but yeah, they're, they're okay. But now is where he sort of flips the switch. And it's like, yeah. oh, fuck. <laughs> 
Edge of Tomorrow 2014. I think that I, this is one of the best sci-fi films of the last 20 years. I think that it is everything that's great about Tom Cruise and it's staying for now. And that sure. and that's just my thought. Have you seen that one? Yes. Yes. Okay, I good. remember watching it on pay-per-view. Oh, wow. <laughs> uh, Mission Impossible Rogue Nation 2015. Again, better and taking the franchise in the right direction. Yeah. But since you're passionate about three, and I think it's consensus that Fawd is the best one, yeah. Rogue Nation has got to go. Jack Reacher, too. I can't believe they made a sequel to this. That's that fucking one, hilarious. It, it sucked. Like the Jack first one's Re- all right, second one's not. Yeah. Jack Reacher, Never Go Back, 2016. Goodbye. The <laughs> hilarious Dark Universe attempted starter, The Mummy, which I have never seen, but was one of the most glorious blockbuster disasters of the last 10 years in fact the tweet announcing the dark universe pops up on my feed like every two weeks it's so good <laughs> it's, it's so, so funny good. It, it almost like it it doesn't belong but like it is like such a big moment in his career because it was like coming off this big comeback and then he just has this and it's like what the fuck was what was anyone thinking well it was the post <laughs> avengers we yeah. gotta make a team up universe asap yeah. <laughs> just like and uh, so your first thought is monsters universal yeah. monsters. i mean it, it, the idea in theory is kind of cool for me sure. i think i think it was supposed to be jekyll and hyde invisible mm-hmm. man sure. the mummy and um i can't remember and they had the- cast for all these movies like not yeah full they cast, cast but like javier uh, bardem yeah. johnny depp Cruz. i mean look it was a good idea but i the mummy just failed so dramatically that they just ditched yeah. it completely which is very funny um 2017 American made, which marks his first time in like a legitimate dramatic role in like 10 years. Uh, I've not seen that film. Goodbye. Right. Yeah. I've heard. Uh, yeah. I've heard it's not bad, but still. Yeah. Uh, and then 2018 MI fallout. It is the highest grossing film of his career with $727 million. Finally, we're on to the 2020s, 2022. He's got Top Gun Maverick. And in 2023, he's got MI eight part one. So I'm going to keep, Top Gun 2 on here just for the sake of the chat. We have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen. <laughs> we have 17 films. We have to pare down to five. Now <laughs> let's do the easy ones first. Okay. Let's Top Gun 2, gone, right? I mean, you haven't seen it yet, so you can't really see yeah. it. I, I mean, I like culturally like it seems like it's a big thing already with him getting the award at cans that was like specifically made for him and stuff but like right. uh, we we don't everyone seems to be going crazy for it but i just don't think we can talk about it at length yet all right let's leave that one there for now am i fallout i think it's got to stay for now yes edge of tomorrow i think it's got to stay for now sure. tropic thunder it pains me to take off but it's just <laughs> it's got to go sure uh the last samurai has got to go Minority Report, despite the fact that it's a great film and he worked with Spielberg, has got to go. I'm going to make you pick now, Cade. You've got to choose between Collateral and MI3. I'll lose Collateral. All right. I'll fight for MI3. Collateral is gone. Now we're moving back into the 90s. We've got a few good men, MI1, Jerry Maguire, and Magnolia. Cade says Magnolia is his best dramatic performance, so we'll keep it for now. Jerry Maguire is probably considered to be like his defining dramatic performance. So we'll I'd keep that. So. I think MI1 has got to go because we've got three and yeah. fallout on the board already. 
and a few good men. I mean, I fucking love this movie and seeing him go toe to toe with Jack basically in the prime of his A-list career was sick. So we'll leave that for now too. Lieutenant Kendrick ordered the code red, didn't he? Because that's what you told Lieutenant Kendrick to do. Object! And when you went bad, you cut country. these guys loose! Your Honor, you had Marcus inside a bony transfer. Your Honor, you doctored the logbook. Damn it, Captain! You coerced the doctor. Consider yourself in contempt. Colonel Jessup, did you order the code red? This is going to be hard, kid. All right, so now we're in the 80s. We've got remaining Risky Business, Top Gun 1, Rain Man, and Born on the 4th of July. Now, I think despite the fact that it's an Oscar-nominated role, I think Born on the 4th of July need, needs to go because, as you said, Risky Business, Top Gun, and Rain Man are like cultural staples. Like, they are touching points for, the, for, for that decade. So yeah. we, we've got to keep those. So now we're down to 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11. All right. That's way better. <laughs> yeah. All right. So we've got Six. Risky Business, Top Gun, Rain Man, A Few Good Men, Jerry Maguire, Magnolia, War of the Worlds, MI3, Edge of Tomorrow, MI Fallout, and Top Gun Maverick. All right, where should we start? Should we start in the 80s? I think a good place to start would be to delete one of the films from the 80s and one of the films from the 90s. Okay. Yeah. So, oh man, the 80s is fucking hard. My gut probably tells me Rain Man now because the risky bit, like you're not going to see a Rain Man joke these days, but risky <laughs> business like references still play. It's still relevant. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. Rain Man's an interesting one because that's like probably the first time like he gets into a movie that's like, because this was before Born on the Fourth of July. I think, right. right? Yeah, 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 yeah. So this is like the first time anyone's like, whoa, Tom Cruise it has got the shit and is in a really like acclaimed movie. Um, All right. So let's yeah. skip, let's skip ahead to the nineties. You're going to go for bat for Magnolia over a few good men. Is that correct? No, no you're not. <laughs> All right. Then. I, I just, even though it's like probably like a higher quality movie, a few good men's just like, you can't handle the truth, right? Yeah, like, you, exactly. You can't fucking compete with that. Exactly. All right. So Magnolia is gone. War of the Worlds and MI3. Look, man, we have got an MI problem. I I think that I think that we've got to keep Fallout because it's the highest grossing film of his 40-year career. And I think it's outside of perhaps you and a few more, considered to be the best. Yeah. Like the only thing I would put like the reason I would go to bat for three is like, cause it probably saved the franchise and there wouldn't be a fallout without three, even like a lot of plot points from three come See, back. To I fallout. consider three part of the originals. And then I feel like they <coughs> made that shift with, I think it was rogue nation in 2011. Like once they started right. to subtitle the films, I think yes. that is when it switched. I, I think there's probably some truth to that. Like there is a much more, heightened level of danger in those movies uh pre and post but uh there's something about three where the villain is good the jj abrams is fucking what is it called magic box thing or whatever like works well in this movie where he has a device that is never explained but like the action the momentum the drama of the story it's the first one where like ethan hunt is an actual like character probably right right right. he has a he's like settled down with a girl and uh michelle monahan and 
they're like together and he has a he's at a like party with her and then he gets a call and he has to go to a 7-eleven and he's he's getting like a disposable camera and uh another agent comes up behind him and they're just like talking, but not looking at each other. And it's just like cool ass spy shit. And Philip Seymour Hoffman is like the goat killing it. The goat. It's that's why he's the goat. Exactly. I mean, MVP performance. All right. So we'll keep three for now. We're not going to keep two MI films when it's all said and done. So I got to fight my case though. In lieu of that, (laughs) we'll take out Top Gun two for now and we'll take out edge of tomorrow. So that leaves us with five, seven, eight films, risky business. Top Gun, Rain Man, A Few Good Men, Jerry Maguire, War of the Worlds, MI3, and MI4. There's no atmosphere at this altitude. I don't need you blacking out on me. Hey, your heads-up display is a built-in guidance system. Follow it to the target. Open your chute when the system says not before and definitely not after. Or the last thing that goes through your mind will be your kneecaps. Is that clear? Crystal. Kate, I gotta be honest, one of the films on this list sticks out like a sore thumb. <laughs> I'll lose Rain Man before I lose Mission Impossible 3. I'll do it. I don't care. <laughs> All right, then Rain Man is gonna go because I think we have enough to cover our dramatic bases with yeah. a few good men and, and Jerry Maguire. Absolutely. So, all right. I think it's fair to say at this point, Risky Business, Top Gun, and Jerry Maguire are in. Yes, I would say that as well. Yeah. So that means I think A Few Good Men is out. Or no, because then at that point, it becomes between A Few Good Men and War of the Worlds. Hmm. Well, I, I recently rewatched War of the Worlds like a couple of weeks ago. That movie uh-huh. fucking bangs. <laughs> yeah, it's on, yeah, it's on Netflix. Netflix so yeah. it's been getting some play. Um, so we've got Risky Business, Top Gun, and Jerry Maguire. I think that what we don't have yet is a legit cruise blockbuster. And I think that that is probably a good reason to put War of the Worlds in. Okay. So that leaves us with, as our selections, Risky Business, Top Gun, Jerry Maguire, War of the Worlds, MI. And so those, <laughs> those are our four. We've got Business, Top Gun, Jerry Mack, War of the Worlds. Those are the four that are in. Yeah. We've got two left, MI3 <laughs> and MI Fallout. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I, I, I don't I try to be conscious of like as the host of this show, like not letting my opinion sure, dominate. No. So if you are feeling passionate enough about MI3, we'll put it in. I objectively think it's the wrong call. I think that the highest grossing film of Tom Cruise's career has to be in. But I also don't think we could do two MI films, given how expansive his work is. So I'm going to leave the call in your hands. Are you going with your header or your heart? <laughs> I, I know Fallout's probably the better play because one, I think that then opens the door for something like Top Gun Maverick to be as ambitious in terms of filmmaking. Or to exist. Yeah. I mean, I know them they were going to make the movie for the longest time. Like that was the plans from like the early 2000s or 2010s. But, but uh, I think the point that you're trying to make is that the last two MI films, I think, are what made Hollywood and the public realize after, as we touched on that lit, that early 2010s period where he's doing Night and Day and uh, Rock of Ages, where people were like, eh. I yeah. think the last two MI films made people realize, oh, Tom Cruise still got that gas. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Uh, Fallout is like, let this be clear. Even though I'm defending Mission Impossible 3, Fallout is a fucking amazing movie. And I show that movie to people. I mean, the opening sequence when they're in the hospital room and he goes, 
go. And the, the walls drop and a uh, fucking guy from CNN, Wolf Blitzer, comes out and takes amazing, off the mask. Amazing. I mean, come on. And all the helicopter stuff. I mean, uh, yeah. And we wouldn't have seven and eight coming. Uh, so I think I think Fallout is the likelier play. Uh, all right. There we have it. I feel very good about this, except for a few good men. I yeah I know. I, no, I think a few good men and um Rain Man are the two <laughs> that I feel like stick out. And I think if you were ranking this based on the best movies, mm-hmm. a few good men and um Rain Man would overtake War of the Worlds and Top Gun. Yes. But this isn't a conversation about the best quality of films. This is a yeah. conversation about movies that define Tom Cruise's career. And if we didn't have War of the Worlds, there would be a gap from 1996 to 2018. Yeah, and we can't true. just ignore is that more than 20 years. It, yeah, yeah, that yeah. is. It's 22. Yeah. So you can't just gloss over that entire period. I yeah. think that that's it, is a good representation of Tom Cruise's career. I think that those early 2000s, early 2010s, where he was a bit lost in the weeds, he would still have films like MI6 to pull him back up, but he, he came out hot and he's closing hot. Yeah. I mean, Something I wrote down and just want to want to say because I thought of this recently, I, I, I wrote this down because I thought it, it sums up his career. Uh, you know, you've heard the saying, if your friends jumped off a cliff, would you jump with them? And your, span, your answer is supposed to be no. If Tom Cruise was my friend and he asked me to jump off a cliff with him. I don't need any further convincing because <laughs> I, I know he has it figured out. He has it carefully calculated. I'm probably safer doing a stunt with Tom Cruise than like riding any roller coaster in the United States. Like that guy, he's so smart. He has like the most wild career where he is now. I'm a stunt guy who can act <laughs> like, and I I'm in on that. Like I'm so hyped for Top Gun Maverick. I know you've seen it. I see it on Tuesday. It, it, yeah. It bangs. It bangs. It's it going to be. And then, you know, it seems like I don't, we didn't cover this, but, uh, some screenshots from the Mission Impossible trailer leaked out oh. last week. It's nothing oh. exciting. It's just ah. like a couple pictures of him standing in places. Um, but I imagine that comes with Tom ta, Top Gun. So a full gear plus out. Yeah, that that seems likely because I know they were scoring it recently. And if there's images of the trailer, it seems like we're gonna attach this to Top Gun or whatever, and that makes the most sense to me. But um, Tom Cruise, man, I'm there day one, any day. Any movie. I think that's a great place to close. Let's just recap our Mount Rushmore one last time. We have Risky Business, which let me just confirm I have the right year for this because I've been saying, yeah. All right. Risky Business, 1983. Top Gun, 1986. Jerry Maguire, 1996. War of the Worlds, 2005. And MI Fallout, 2018. Honorable mentions that just missed the cut were A Few Good Men, Rain Man, and MI3. Now, Stick around for my interview with John Hamm, where we're talking about the making of Top Gun Maverick. Well, what it was like to tell Tom Cruise, no, Boston sports, why people love the town so much, why he loves to make fun of himself so much, and more.
folks, tired. today I am joined by John Hamm, an Emmy-winning actor that you know from projects such as Mad Men, The Town, Baby Driver, and his latest film, Top Gun Maverick, which hits theaters on May 27th. Now, John is a famed St. Louis Cardinals fan. I am a New York Mets fan, so I'll make sure to try to avoid throwing any pitches up and in. <laughs> How are you today, sir? And thank, very well. Thank you Congratulations. For, Your Mets for are off to a very hot start. Well, they are, but watch. they're currently in the process of blowing a lead to uh, the Braves. So <laughs> let's see how I'm feeling by the time we're, we're done chatting. So <laughs> let me just start by saying congrats on the film. I had an absolute blast with it. And I want to start with the original Top Gun. What were you up to in 1986? And what would 1986 John Hamm have said if you told him that he'll be starring in the next Top Gun film? Uh, I was up to about 15 years old. Uh, and uh, that movie was a very big experience for not only myself, but my entire friend group. And I remember going to see it in the in the cinema in St. Louis. And, and as soon as the movie ended, I realized I, I wanted to see it again. Uh, it was that kind of a thing. And of course, back in those days, seeing a movie again didn't just mean you hit hit the little circle button and, and go back and start it over. You had to go outside and buy another ticket and stand in line. That's if you could get a ticket if it wasn't sold out. And it was it was a whole process. So I remember probably seeing it in theaters three, four or five times easily uh, because that movie to me and my my friends represented what it was to be cool. Uh, and it was the sunglasses. It was the look. It was the leather jacket, the, the F-14 Tomcats, the aircraft carriers. Everything about it was was cool. The music, the, the way it looked. Um, so that was a big, big part of my life. Ha had I been told uh, after walking out of one of those screenings, if some weirdo would have walked up to me and said, don't worry about it, kid, you'll be, uh, you'll be in the sequel 36 years later. <laughs> uh, my response would have probably been to call the police, but, uh, uh, you shouldn't be whispering in 15 year old kids ears if, if you don't know them, but yeah, I don't know. I, 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 I'm, I'm thrilled to have, have had the opportunity and I'm very thrilled for people to see the film. Let me just say to your point about that being cool. Good fitting pair of blue jeans, white tee, and a leather jacket will never go out of style. No, it looks it just won't. as cool now as it did then. Yep. <laughs> I was pleasantly surprised by how similar the tone was to the original film. Why do you think it was important for this movie to stay true to the Top Gun aura while also updating the story for modern fans? I think the, the biggest part of why why the movie works on so many levels is because what you say is true that tonally it, it, it maintains the same um, it maintains the same uh, notes but thematically it actually has shifted over the course because what happened in the ensuing 30 plus years was that Maverick got older and Iceman got older. And a lot of the people that we remember from the first aren't in their 20s anymore. And so words and concepts like responsibility and duty and service and loyalty and friendship and loss and grief, all of these things mean very different things when you're in your 50s than they do when you're in your 20s. And I think part of the fun for the audience and part of why the audience can, can relate so much to this whole, this whole journey is because they're invested in in watching Maverick, uh, for, for, for want of a better word, sort of grow up and like we all have, you know, and, and have to deal with, you know, with kind of uh, not being as, as, as selfish and, and putting other people in harm's way is, is not the best to, uh, way to go. And uh, I think that those are lessons that we, we can all learn, especially in a time where, you know, this idea of, of taking care of, of the group and taking care of your community and, and taking mm -hmm. care of each other 
is uh, seems to be a, a weirdly out of fashion. So I Contentious think it's nice debate. Have, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think it's nice to, it's actually nice to be reminded that that's actually uh, the, the, the number should be the number one rule. Take care. Of and I other. think that that's, what's great about this film is that it still maintains sort of that genuine earnestness without feeling hokey. True. And it's also, it's not preachy. There's nothing. Yeah. It's, it's trying to tell its story and it's, it's wildly entertaining. Um, there are some sequences that I, that if you aren't blown away by, you don't have a pulse. Yeah. Right. Um, it is, it is a movie that is meant to be seen in a large format, uh, loud and proud and, and, uh, and it will, you know, buckle up for this one. Cause it's a good one. Now, I felt that your character was very much the moral compass of the film. Talk to me about creating a character who's forced to make difficult choices, even though they may not agree with them, but they know that they are the right ones, especially when those choices can cost lives. How did you go about bringing gravitas to that? A lot of that was meeting a lot of the guys that were that were in the positions of, of, of making decisions and power and authority and having to make executive decisions that that you you're right to to identify could end up costing uh, lives could end up you know costing uh, vast sums of money in, in in destroyed material and and what have you. So there are people for whom those decisions are made every day, and it's it's a uh, it's a it's a tricky one. And those people by nature are tend to be very sober, serious, calculating. Uh, individuals and that's genuinely generally why they have those jobs so it wasn't that hard it's baked into the script the script is a very good script chris mccrory and others did a wonderful job on on putting it all down on paper but uh part of that was uh, as designed was because that that decision making uh process has to be then met up with and rub up against mavericks different decision-making uh, process. And so the, that's where a lot of the, the drive, the dramatic drive uh, and tension comes uh, in the second half of the film. You know, you bring up rubbing up against Maverick. And one of the things I have wrote down here was, was this pitched to you as, hey, John, can you come in and tell Tom Cruise no a bunch? <laughs> that's basically what I felt like your role was. Uh, I mean, it's a pretty cool job, I will say. I, you know, I feel like that's a guy that doesn't get told no a lot. Uh, but I will say, I wasn't telling Tom Cruise no. I was telling Maverick. Maverick, right. Very, right. very different experience. So uh, I feel, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, 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 go ahead. I feel like when we talk about Top Gun, we have to talk about the late, great Tony Scott. Now, I don't want you to bail by saying Top Gun. So outside of Top Gun, do you have a favorite Tony Scott film? And why do you love that film? Um, boy, you're you're putting me on the spot here for for his filmography, but I think he made a movie. Did he make? No, that was Martin Brest. Um, he made. Did he make? Um, oh my boy, you're killing me. Sorry, John. We can skip this one. Crimson uh, yeah, Tide let's, is let's, always a classic answer. No, it wasn't Crimson Tide. That was like that was good, but that's not one of my favorites. There's one that I'm thinking of that I cannot pull the title and. Uh, True Romance was the oh. answer that I was seeking, and I knew it would come to me eventually, but I had to look it up. Go ahead and roll that <laughs> back, and I'll be happy to answer it. whatever you like. Great uh, choice there. So I, I said, I have to ask you about the town because my friends and family, I mean, my parents who are in their 60s can quote every line of this film. And I'm not sure I've ever met somebody who isn't like, oh, man, the town. I love the town. Why do you think that that film has created such a legacy? Um, ben did a very, very smart thing when he decided to take on that project. And he, um, he's a phenomenal director. I think the proof's in the pudding for that. He, he, that was his second feature. I happened to see 
his first feature at a film festival and I was blown away, Gone Baby Gone. Mm. Um, but uh, when it was presented to me as this is, this is gonna happen and I thought, well, Ben's the perfect guy to do it. Not only is he literally the patron saint of Boston, uh, <laughs> but uh, he's also perfectly cast in the role. Um, but he also hired tremendous craftspeople to, to make that movie from our stunt coordinators to our director of photography, to our costumers, to our uh, ADs, to everybody, uh, to, our, to our second unit director. We had the editors, we had the top notch, um, top tier craftspeople working on that film. And, 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 and it's all right there on screen. He decided to make kind of a throwback 1970s style uh, action thriller and, and it was, and it's, uh, it's just, it's just great. I was so, I had so much fun making that movie. Uh, got to know Jeremy Renner really well on that film. We've, we've made a couple things since then. And uh, Rebecca Hall, Ben, obviously so many folks on that film got to work with the late great Pete Postlethwaite. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, it was a, it was a real pleasure. It was a real fun experience uh, getting to know Boston. I'd really never spent much time there. I've since made two or three other films in Boston. And, uh, and I love it there. Um, the sports teams I can do without they, uh, but <laughs> you and uh, me both brother, <laughs> I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get I'm sure I'm gonna get dragged for that. But, uh, but whatever, that's how it goes. Let me tell you hearing Pete's name, the first thing that I think of is I'm gonna clip your nuts, just like I clipped your daddies. <laughs> yeah, um, it was, he's a scary guy. And, and when you meet him in person, he's the nicest, gentlest, tiniest little Irish elf. You, but you sort uh, of, he, he was he was pretty intimidating in that film. You uh, sort of led me into what I was going to ask next. You seem to have an early indication that you were working on something special. Was there a moment, a specific moment where you realized, like, people are going to talk about this film in 10, 20 years from now? On, on, top, on top Gun or on the no, town? No, on town, on, on town. On the town, for sure. You know, part of it is, is, a, is ineffable, right? You can't really, you can't really describe it. Um, but it has something to do with, with having a good time making it. If there's, if there's some sort of uh, intrinsic joy or enthusiasm that's coming from making it, then, then you, that will come out on screen. Um, and then some of it is just lightning in a bottle. I think mm -hmm. that, that, that we had both of those things. Uh, we came out on the right weekend. We had the right kind of mix of, of, of release. Warner Brothers did an incredibly good job at marketing the film. It's also um, endlessly quotable. And it was very endlessly quotable. It hit that pure pocket of, of the movie going audience that, that wanted to watch it on more than one occasion. And, and it's, I, that's the movie that I get, uh, that I get no, recognized for more than anything else, I especially in airport. It's very yeah. big for, uh, for the TSA for some reason. <laughs> uh, because they probably had to go through a course, like here's how we prevent getting robbed like this. You're probably right. Um, all right, I've got a rep soon. So I want to swing over to what I think is probably the most underrated aspect of your career, and that's your work in comedy. Now, I'm a fan of soccer, and in England, they call this taking the piss out of yourself. You okay. seem to be a huge fan of that, whether it be Bridesmaids or Parks and Rec or 30 Rock or even popping up on Kurt. Why, why do you seem to enjoy that so much? Because I find that you're clearly in on the joke of playing a, against type. I think part of it is uh, it's, it's expecting the unexpected, I think. And that, that there's a lot of comedy that can come from that. Uh, I look a certain way. I present a certain way. And, and I think if, if then the, the action or the, or the scene uh, makes a hard left, then it tends to be funny. I, I think of uh, 
I did a very small part playing myself uh, on on Bill Hader's excellent show, Barry. Amazing. Uh, and it wasn't even really a joke. It was just me being an exaggeratedly dumb version of me. And we got to lean into it so much that Bill could barely keep a straight face when it was uh, on, on his own coverage. So I was kind of like, you know, this is, you're the star of this movie. You better stop laughing during this. It's, <laughs> It's really not working, and and uh, but it, I was very pleased to to be a part of it. I I've, I've I've cultivated friendships with a lot of those people on on that side of the aisle from a comedic standpoint, and it's always nice when you get to a, a, when you get asked to to play in those sandboxes. Well, John, whether it be seeing you pop up as the guy who says no in Top Gun or the beautiful moron in Parks and Rec, you're one of those guys <laughs> whose name I love seeing pop up in any film. Anytime you show up, I am confident that it is going to elevate the movie i thank you for your work and your time today sir godspeed thank you kindly good talking with you thank you john cheers all right and thank you for john ham for joining us today i hope you all enjoyed our chat i hope you enjoyed our tom cruise mount rushmore i hope you all are as hyped for top gun maverick as my boy kate is it absolutely <laughs> lives up to the hype i don't think it has a 100 on rotten tomatoes anymore but i think it's still in the high 90s That's which 96. is just like i can't believe he keeps doing this yeah and, and top gun one has like a 59 or something <laughs> I mean, there's a huge gap yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. Like that is that's a crazy jump between one and two, right? So not only do we have Top Gun Maverick coming out on the 27th, but we also have the first two episodes of Obi Wan Kenobi. Now, given that I think more people will see Obi Wan Kenobi that Friday than Top Gun, we're going to be talking about Obi Wan Kenobi for the main portion of our show next week. But other than that, we will leave it in the hands of the Hollywood gods. Cade, my brother in Christ and content. It was good seeing you, dog. Good to see you, too. (laughs) All right, y'all. Peace.